0: Welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this, The Darkest Timeline. I'm Lord of Commander Ulrich, and with me as always is...
1: His shield brother, Axel Wright. How
0: you doing today, Axel?
1: Uh, well, I'm still kind of dying of the plague, but I am getting over it quite a bit.
0: Just remember, that which does not kill you only makes you stronger. <laughs> and we can yeah, always keep a robo-arm.
1: Uh, yeah, let's, let's save that as a last resort. <clears throat> Come on, robo-arms are cool. You can crush things. Well, you realize that robot arms generally do not function the way they show in media, right? <laughs> so, You're an engineer. You'll make
0: it work. Uh, we'll,
1: I'll explain this to you at length later. <laughs>
0: so, okay, so I think at this point it's fair to say we've covered the Geeks part of Geeks with Shields fairly well. Am I right? Um, I think that,
1: yeah, five, what, five episodes of, of Geek Topics. I think that very well establishes at least a base level of Geek Cred.
0: Okay, so today's episode we're going to introduce a new segment we like to call uh the warrior corner where we take some time to talk about the shields element of geecher shields by covering some of the most iconic warriors of all time and we're going to start with one of our favorites the spartan hoplite
1: well really the spartan in general i would yeah, say. yeah
0: the spartan um couple points to make we are not historians no we are history lovers we love history but we are in no way credited sources we are not pretending to be credited sources, so if we do make some mistakes, just let us know. But keep in mind this is not a history podcast. In fact, so, I would argue
1: that most of this conversation will be talking about like general preconceptions about a, a given warrior and then what we do know from history just like sprinkled in. So
0: yes. And the Spartans that we also understand have become fairly controversial as of late as there's a bit of a ongoing debate amongst historians. I encourage you to go out, look into that on your own, and make well, your own decision.
1: I mean, that's a very general uh, description. Can you give just like a Cliff Notes version of what this debate is?
0: The big debate is coming down to how reliable is the information we have on the spark? because yeah. the spartans didn't believe in writing things down because they believed it made you mentally weak you were you weren't <laughs> using your memory really
1: oh i remember yeah. um what was uh, sophocles or or aristotle one of them said something like that yeah yes when writing when writing was first coming about in ancient Greece, that I know there were at least a couple of philosophers that were like this will destroy the ability to remember things, which is ludicrous, but
0: um. and that's how the Spartans felt, so a lot of the, they didn't write a lot of it down, and a lot of our stories come from after long after these events had happened, and there's a recent debate amongst academia of how accurate this history is. So I knew, I knew.
1: I knew that that was true with Vikings. I didn't know that was a thing with uh, ancient Greece.
0: It's always a thing with historians because there's never really consensus amongst historians. <laughs>
1: well, that's part of what makes history an interesting topic, yes. I
0: suppose. I've said it before and I'll say it again. History is like <laughs> physics in that we have theories and we assume these theories are correct, but we can't really prove them.
1: Uh, you just set off a lot of like science levers right there. I get what you're trying to say, but don't do the physics comparison again just just warning you <laughs>
0: <So>. <laughs> well that's the best way i can think to describe it
1: but as as an engineer um i disagree with what you just said
0: Now, <laughs> yeah, well fair enough all right so let's jump straight in before i make even more enemies <laughs> what do you know about ancient sparta like when you think ancient sparta the spartans all that what comes to mind
1: well mostly probably the same stuff that comes to you know, the average person's mind. I, I I admit that when it comes to the shields part of Geeks with Shields, you have the advantage on me. You actually studied uh, in an institution, you know, some of the history of, of war, right? That's what I, I believe, specifically. Uh, I didn't, like, specifically take any history classes. I just love, like, history podcasts or history shows, Um And I haven't actually listened to a whole lot about Spartans specifically. I mean, one of my favorite series online was about the Punic Wars, which is tangential, but uh, it's not directly related to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so most of the stuff that I assume I know about Spartans is is probably just that—an assumption. Like, I mean, I'm smart enough to know that, for instance, the depiction of Spartans in 300 is completely off, like to a large Um... degree. (laughs)
0: So, not so much. We'll cover that when we get to it, because there's actually a really interesting. Bit. Okay,
1: I, I'll admit that I'm just a fan of the HEMA community, so just the fact that they don't wear armor pisses me off. <laughs> so, and I get blinded by that. <laughs> so, um, I mean, my favorite depiction of Spartans that I've seen in like a show or movie is probably the Spartans in Samurai Jack in the episode Jack and the Spartans, and they're in the future. Yeah, I mean, they got spears that have rockets on the head, so that's not something yeah. that, like real spartans had but but like you know their how their armor looks and how their formations and like the the importance of the shield like that all is uh you know i I assume very accurate um I remember when they did the uh, the Deadliest Warrior episodes with the Spartan. They did the Spartan versus the ninja and the Spartan versus the samurai. I found a lot of that stuff interesting, <laughs> like uh, like how good their armor actually was, uh, considering it was really heavy. Um, yeah.
0: But all, I all, think all this th- show gets unnecessarily shit on now. Deadliest Warrior does? I, I mean, I've yeah, heard anything about are just it. A lot going, "Oh, I can't believe anyone watched that show." They had blank beat blank.
1: Well, come on, it was like. The idea was right that you know any warrior could theoretically beat any warrior given the proper circumstances. So you know you do an aggregate score, and you know certain things are generally going to come out on top. Like yeah, uh, Spartan versus ninja, for instance. Like a ninja is an He's assassin. Yeah, 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 but like the whole concept, right? Is the ninja is 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 an assassin? A real ninja obviously would not stick around and fight. He would run away and wait for the Spartan to sleep and then cut his throat while he sleeps. But that wasn't the point of the show. The point of the show was, okay, we stick these guys in arena, and essentially, and one of them has to come out alive. And yeah, most of the time, the guy with armor and a spear and a shield is going to beat the guy who has you know daggers and, and no real armor.
0: So yeah. That's why I love that episode so much, is it kind of stripped down the ninja. It's like, they're not these mythical killing machines. They were specialized... <laughs> skilled assassins that in the right scenario, with the right setup could be deadly, but in one-on-one they were just screwed.
1: Yeah. And I think I might be focusing too much on the, the nitty gritty of like uh, armor and, and stuff like that. But uh, so as far as like culture goes, I I'm aware that the Spartans were generally a, uh, a, a militaristic society. Uh, they had certain views about democracy that are uh, touchy, and I don't know the f- pure details of. I know that they didn't like Athens <laughs> at all. So, And weren't they, Um, uh, didn't they make slaves of basically anyone that they beat?
0: Uh, yeah. And uh, there's a lot to go over there. So first I'll start at the very top. I am a self-admitted laconophile, which means someone who is obsessed with ancient Sparta. Mm-hmm. I have been for the longest time.
1: For the record, for those listening, um, you might have heard us reference something called New Sparta. And me and Ulrich, for a few years, have uh, I don't know what you want to call it. We'll call it an exercise. We have an exercise. exercise. Yeah. Yeah. A thought exercise we engage in of essentially creating our own country that we call New Sparta. And we we debate and talk over how we would run it, what decisions we would make. But there's a reason why we chose New Sparta as the name.
0: Yeah. One, we, uh, again, I'm a self-admitted laconophile. Two, there's a lot to like about ancient Sparta and there's a lot that doesn't work. And I think that is why people still talk about them. But to answer your question about slaves, yeah, ancient Sparta was essentially divided into three classes. At the top, you had the Spartans. These were pure born citizens whose sole purpose was to act as soldiers and defend the city. And then the next rung down were the perioikoi, which were traders and artisans and skilled laborers. And at the very bottom were the helots, which were anybody that the Spartans had conquered or taken as captains.
1: Perioikoi?
0: Perioikoi, yeah.
1: I love that word.
0: (laughs) That's a great sounding word. Sorry, go ahead. (laughs) And uh, the Spartans kind of made a habit of going out and conquering their neighbors at least once a year to refresh the number of helots because they went through their slave population incredibly quickly.
1: So they basically built their society on the the helots, so they needed to keep them around. (laughs) Yes,
0: and there were always more uh, helots than there were Spartans. Spartans were very few in number. They had a high mortality rate, largely because of the rigors that they put the citizens through.
1: Do you know, um, generally speaking, what the Spartan population was? Like, the height of their existence?
0: No. I know it was very, very... It was tiny compared to most of the other uh, civilizations. Like, I think one number put it, for every 100 helots, there was one Spartan.
1: Mm. Uh, I just... Well, it doesn't help that Sparta right, is, uh, by definition, what a city-state, essentially, because Greece was the civilization, but it was split in all these various city-states.
0: Yes. And for anyone who doesn't know, a city-state was essentially, when you think of Athens, and you think of Thebes, and you think of all these ancient civilizations, there was a capital, which was the name city, and then the surrounding territory was part of that, and that became the city-state. It was essentially, as the name supplies, city-states. It was like if each state in the United States was its own country. Which that They kinda shared was a culture, name. but they didn't... That was about it. They shared a culture and a language, and culture even differed greatly.
1: It's funny, because that's kind of how the United States was originally meant. That's why it's called the United States, but Civil War, which we'll probably talk about at the time, kind of solidify that that wasn't the case. But yeah, anyway, go on.
0: <laughs> and as you brought up earlier, the, the Spartans and the Athenians didn't get along very well. And... Part of that has a lot to do with the cultural differences. The Spartans were a highly militarized society built around creating the a utopia, was based off military might and strength and perfection. And they scorned wealth. They scorned anything that's off they had. And that's where we get the term, you know, Spartan, meaning, you know, very bare or not much of. Where the Athenians were more into trade and gaining wealth and gaining power through trade and wealth. So these were two opposite ends of the spectrum. Other big difference was the Athenians were big proponents of democracy. And not democracy as we know it, but kind of the germ of the idea of democracy. Whereas the Spartans thought that, no, you can't, democracy is dumb. People aren't intelligent enough to rule themselves. They will only, you know, they need a single direction, a single leader. Didn't Sparta Sparta have a, Hmm?
1: sorry, didn't Sparta have a Senate though, or something like it? They had... Two kings. That was their system. Oh, I know Rome did that for a while during the Punic Wars. I didn't know Sparta did that.
0: Yeah, Sparta did it for a similar reason the Romans did it was to keep one man from amassing too much power.
1: Hmm. All right. Uh, You know, it's funny talking about um, Sparta being war and Athens being trade, which, yeah, that is, you know, boiling down the civilization to one word, which is inaccurate for many different reasons. But in broad strokes and for purposes of conversation, it works. But, um, when you, you know when you read history or you listen to historians you have to choose essentially a uh, historical lens right that you look through and that you know affects like how you interpret the the data you're looking at part of the reason why there's debates at all um, I think it's interesting because most of the historians I listen to tend to look at history through the lens of trade but they admit that like war, Uh, in history makes for like more quote-unquote interesting history like war has very large um, effects in the short term like historically speaking like you know even a war that takes 100 years is still short-term comparatively whereas trade tends to have much larger effects they just take a longer time and especially because a lot of wars are because of trade reasons (laughs) so
0: yeah and it's interesting you bring that up because that again is another difference that kind of gave sparta a stronger stance in ancient greece because the whole of their society could gear themselves towards being the best fighters and training all the time they didn't have to stop for the harvest they didn't have to stop for trade they had a whole two subclasses for them their whole focus was to militarize, and to be able to march to war. Where this hurt them, though, is they didn't have the population to go to war on the larger scales that these other city-states did. So it was a bit of a trade-off.
1: Well, and again, I mentioned how inaccurate I think it is. Remember that at the end of uh, 300, the idea was 10,000 Spartans and 30,000 Greeks. So just thirty thousand from other uh, city states, and that was uh, Thermopylae, right? Was the no that no, Plataea, that's
0: Was oh, why can't I can't remember the name of that one.
1: Well, they say Plataea. Like I remember the guy says it. Yeah,
0: Plataea. That's the big battle. That one did happen. The numbers are <laughs> a little bit more blown up, but yeah, that one did go on to happen, and that was the Spartans did lead the charge there and that is kind of where the Spartans gain their reputation
1: like how um you know again because movie takes liberties but those numbers 10,000 Spartans to 30,000 Greeks like how accurate do you think that is like do you think it was roughly in that like neighborhood or did they most
0: historians agree that was roughly the numbers they were (laughs) able to field but The big factor, and they kind of touch on that, the 300, again, it gets a lot of shit, and it deserves some, but there are elements of truth, and there are some interesting things in there. Um, The biggest thing being how they were able to turn Thermopylae from a brutal defeat into this rallying point for all of Greece. Mm -hmm. And ironically, uh, Sparta came out the heroes of the Peloponnesian, of that war.
1: Although even that wasn't... Three hundred, right? It was more like a couple thousand or something like that. It was a much smaller number, but it still wasn't like that tiny, right?
0: Um, we can actually talk about Thermopylae and the whole three hundred real quick. I don't want to talk on it too much because it's kind of been done to death. Everyone knows about Thermopylae. Um, so yeah, we'll take a brief moment and talk about it. uh the Battle of Thermopylae and the three hundred Spartans. There were only three hundred Spartans. Oh, I thought
1: that was exaggerated. Hmm.
0: No. The reason there was only 300 was because um, (laughs) when Xerxes invaded, he timed it perfectly to coincide with the Olympic Games and, oh, I can't quite remember, but a big religious ceremony. And the Spartans were deeply spiritual. Did they actually
1: worship Ares, like, specifically?
0: No. Ares, a Greek, the Greeks had a very different view of Ares than the Romans did. They, Ares was kind of seen as I'm trying to think of the right word. If you go back and you read uh, the Iliad or the Odyssey, he's very gung-ho but the minute he takes a scratch he runs away. Uh, yes, I remember hearing some stories about that. Okay. They were more worshiping of Hercules, who they considered themselves descended from?
1: Mm, they probably like would have called him Heracles.
0: Hercules. Okay. But then the rule was is there was the gods did not want you to war during these holy times. So the Spartans, right, right. being these deeply religious people, and Xerxes, knowing that the Spartans were so deeply spiritual, he figured they wouldn't come to the field of battle. So mm. the Spartans made a workaround, and King Leonidas took his 300 personal guard for a walk, as he put it. Well,
1: I know that was in the movie, but... Uh, that
0: part actually did happen.
1: Oh, okay.
0: It was There wasn't the corruption within, but it was like, no... You can't go to war. Oh, I'm not going to war. I'm going to go for a walk. And should we happen to get in a fight? Well, we can't be helped. That's a really Uh, cool thing about the Spartans. They were known for their cleverness and their wit. hmm. Um, Go ahead.
1: No, you go ahead, man.
0: Uh, One of the really cool things, you know, that big iconic scene, uh, this is Sparta when he kicks the messenger into the well. That part did happen, but not like that. I think actually how it happened is better. Um, Xerxes sent out, you know emissaries to all the major kingdoms to try and get them to you know uh give in and he knew he had to get the spartans out of the game because at this time in history the spartans were dominating on land they were the key military land power but he didn't think he'd be able to but he still sent an emissary there and the emissary goes and asks for earth and water which is the, at the time, that is how you asked for surrender. Tribute of earth and water was you giving in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And King Leonidas killed the emissaries and threw them down the well and said, you shall find both down there.
1: Well, that was in the movie.
0: Yeah, that was the big thing when he threw them in. And again, it's really that Spartans were known for this, what's called uh, now called laconic wit. And one of the cool things is in training, you would sit down with your elder, the person that was there training you, and essentially have ancient rat battles. <laughs> where you go back and forth trying to insult each other as quickly as possible in as clever a way as possible.
1: The the number of ridiculous images that popped in my head when you say that, I'm just thinking of like Socrates with a backwards cap on. <laughs>
0: so Yeah! Well, you know, you have that. So that all did happen. And they go out and they meet the fellow Greeks that are mustering, they only got 300. And then you get that other great line where they say, is this all Sparta could send? And the Spartans,
1: you know, what, what, what is your profession that that whole scene? Pretty good stuff.
0: Again, more or less how it happened. The Spartans said something along the lines of, we are 300 Spartans. (laughs) That's all you need. So then they got to Thermopylae. And you know, again, Xerxes thinks he can intimidate, these spartans and you know get them to flee off the field and he sends out the messenger and the messenger says there's no point in fighting us we have so many archers that our arrows shall blot out the sun and again you get that great line the spartans retort then we shall fight in the
1: shade so you're making the assertion that most of the um what i'm gonna call schwarzenegger lines because that's essentially what they are in the movie have basis in like
0: actual you know this may have been said kind of thing yes the spartans were big on that so then you know you get to the big battle of thermopylae that first one where they all come crashing into the spartan and the greek's shield line and the reason that was so effective and a lot of people don't realize this was not necessarily because these greeks were such great warriors i'm not dismissing that it was the fact way they were armored and like we talked about earlier with the deadliest warrior the persians they had wicker shields and cloth armor because they came from very hot climate. The Greeks, and when I say Greeks, I'm talking about the Spartans and the Athenians and the Thebians that have been gathered there. They're the covered the head height. to toe in armor.
1: Because there's the height of the, maybe not height, but this was right in the middle of the Bronze Age, right? Because Spartans yeah. were
0: generally Yeah, what's like called the classical period. period. Yeah, and They were like, like
1: a solid bronze yeah. plate.
0: <laughs> yes, they're, so they didn't really have the ability to break through. So the first wave fails. So then they send out the archers. Now, the number of the Persian army in antiquity is said to be about a million. Uh, Modern historians don't think that's the case. They think it was closer to 100,000, which still at the time was a significant number. Mm -hmm. So they come out and they fire the arrows into the Greek lines. And this is another something. The arrows actually weren't strong enough to pierce the armor of the Greeks.
1: By the way, 100,000, that sounds like... um... Also, reasonable. I know that uh, during the Punic Wars, a, uh, a Roman like segment would regularly number around 80,000. So,
0: Yeah, and the big thing you got to consider, you, your military strength was determined by your ability to uh, move that many men, i.e. taking from your population centers, taking out that much of a workforce, and supplying them which is, again, an advantage Spartans had. Their entire civilian force was designed to be taken to war and not have to worry about, you know, the city still having labor or worrying about supply line. They had the slaves and they had the perioikoi to, you know, fill both those roles, which was how they designed their society, be able to go to war and stay at war, which was an advantage they had over their neighbors. So you got to imagine there's all these Greek war- warriors stand out there and these famed Spartans and these, you know, they had these bright red cloaks on, which they wore because they believed not only war a red was a color of strength and passion, but because it hid the blood when you got cut.
1: So so you said that the uh, the Persian army's arrows generally couldn't penetrate the the bronze armor. So were they still like using Iron Age weapons then or?
0: It was yeah, there was iron tip and a lot of reed shafts. Okay. (laughs) They weren't using a really strong wood so they would snap or break. So you got to imagine this scene. You've got these warriors you've been told about are these incredibly deadly warriors. You watch the first wave crash into them and get repelled. You've got the sun shining down off this glittering bronze armor and now your arrows are bouncing off their armor. Why don't
1: we actually take a moment there? That's an interesting point. You talk about like the the fame, these famed warriors. So why don't we uh, delve into... Like, what made them famed, other than the fact that they were going to war, as you said, like, every year? Like, what's so actually good about a uh, a Spartan warrior and a Spartan regiment?
0: Okay, well, this it kind of comes into the debate. Uh, and, and I tend to side... With what the numbers tell me, what the numbers tell me is typically in the field of battle, Spart the Spartan soldiers won more often than they lost, and part of this was based on the system it took to make a Spartan, and it all started at birth when every child would be brought before the priests to be inspected for any weaknesses at all. You so know, that's
1: it's- too? Hmm? Hmm. yeah, so- a one of the things that seemed like they, they struck me as being. Um, what's the word, exaggerations or you know folklore, but uh, yeah. actual historical basis for it. Interesting.
0: No, they'd be inspected and then they were, you know, if they were any sign of weakness, even if it's small or anything that they conceived as an imperfection, that child was killed.
1: Well, that certainly doesn't help the population problem we mentioned.
0: I will right, we'll talk about this and you can see after I, you know get through the whole process of making a Spartan why they had such limited numbers. So... From there, a Spartan child grows up to idolize this warrior goal. And at eight, they're taken into a system to forge a Spartan called the Agogi. At eight? At eight. The Spartan government comes to your house and takes away your child at the age of eight. And and from there, the tempering, I guess we'll call it, begins. And these young boys are taught to fight and just Kill. Killing was not punished. If you killed a fellow boy, some people, uh, some sources say they were rewarded for it.
1: That mm, some keyword.
0: Yes, and they would also. They were frequently. They were not. They were underfed and underclothed. So the boys were taught to scavenge and steal for their food, and this was meant to instill an ability to. When they're on the field, if you couldn't get food, you knew how to be sneaky and get. You know. That a, that is a.
1: That is a regular military, you know, handy skill. And
0: if you were caught, then you would be taken to the typically either the center of the barracks or the center of town where you were beaten with rods, typically by your fellow cadets, until you dropped. And the longer you held on, the more of a status symbol it was for your toughness. guess it's a good thing they didn't have Klingon pain sticks. (laughs) So then eventually you get to a point where you're about to graduate at around 20 when you join the barracks. Now, again, this is according to some sources. This one is a bit murky. One of the final tests for a boy graduating from the Agogi into the Spartan armor was they had to sneak up unarmed and kill a helot with their bare hands.
1: Oh, that's that has some pretty nasty implications.
0: <laughs> the idea behind this was twofold. One, it was to assure your ability to be sneaky and stealthy. It was designed to cement the idea... That the helots were beneath you in every aspect.
1: Yeah, that's what I was talking about.
0: <laughs> and also to give you the idea of killing a man eye to eye.
1: Didn't you say sneak up on though? Yes.
0: Yeah, so you still have to strangle. Typically, they strangled them with their bare hands.
1: All right, so no neck snapping. You gotta gotta have some uh, some fight back.
0: <laughs> I'm sure there was some neck snapping, but and again, this one is contested. There's a lot of sources that say it did happen. There's a lot of sources that say this is propaganda. So then at age 20, you get the initiation into the barracks. And this is really kind of a cool one, is the barracks, each barrack represented a separate Spartan regiment, which consisted of roughly, I think the number is 30 guys, more or less.
1: And so like, um, oh, what's the word? Not battalion. Battalion's bigger than that. Uh (laughs) I don't remember. Go on.
0: <laughs> well, the reason they did this number is it, that was the number of men used to form the phalanx at the time. And each of these barracks had their own traditions, their own uh, ideals, their own kind of personal thing. And you had to go to each of these barracks you wanted to join and prove why you were worthy to join this brotherhood. Hey, speaking of which, a quick
1: side note. Um, is that uh, – the, uh, the, I'm going to call it the porcupine formation. Is that a real thing? The Skiltron? Skiltron?
0: Yeah. That's yeah. the technical name for what you're talking about.
1: I going not have to see that's spelled out, but I'm going to guess the answer is yes because you have a name for it. Okay,
0: we'll talk about that later. So you would go to these barracks and petition why you should be allowed to join this force, why you were worthy. Now, if you were accepted, you got, you joined, you became part of this brotherhood. If you were rejected, though, you were essentially cast out of society. Harsh. So it was very much you had to prove to this, you know, group of warriors why you deserve to be amongst them. And again, the idea behind this was to forge this close-knit idea of your brothers, the men you are bonded to. That's a very you will normal, never leave that, them behind. That's a very normal military thing. I remember <coughs> with that, um
1: in a few good men, there's this uh the movie, there's this phrase that they say, uh, unit core god country. And I, mm. I've been told by some people in the military that that is like the kind of you know, mentality that they want you to have. So
0: No, you can definitely see where a lot of militaries drew inspiration from ancient Sparta. Even if none of this stuff ever happened, they still drew these ideas from what they thought the Spartans did. So now you're part of this barracks. You're part of this group. You live with these guys all the time. You eat, you sleep. And this is where, you know, we get a fun Spartan cuisine called spartan stew or spartan soup often okay what's in it blood yay that is essentially it is a broth of blood and barley you know
1: again i'm reminded of the klingons and klingon blood wine i'm sure that that's on purpose go on,
0: on. it's designed to is can they thought it made you strong and healthy the barley yes the blood i'm not so sure
1: uh there's a lot of medical reasons why drinking blood is not a good thing <laughs>
0: So then, at age thirty, you are able to go out and get married, and only at thirty are you allowed to leave the barracks and found a household. Really,
1: thirty—that seems seems pretty old, considering you know uh, their society and ancient times and stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah, it kind of was. The idea was is that your bond to the Spartan state and the Spartan warrior class came above everything else.
1: Would you and... say then that, that um, Spartan was? And I'm not saying this to be like politically charged or anything i just mean like definition wise would you
0: say sparta was a fascistic or a fascist society very much so yeah it makes sense i mean that's why so many fascist regimes have modeled themselves after sparta uh interestingly enough the reason we are only now really digging into ancient sparta was hitler was obsessed with the ancient spartans and that kind of cast a negative over any discussion of ancient Sparta for the longest time.
1: Well, he was also obsessed with uh, a lot of ancient civilizations. I mean, the 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 swastika, while used by you know many different societies, was at one point a symbol for Thor. And personally, I think that's the reason, or more likely, a reason why he chose it, since you know, Aryan people, Scandinavians, Vikings, all that jazz, ruins it for the you
0: know rest of the Germanic
1: neo pagans. But but yeah,
0: anyway. <laughs> So, yeah. So at age 30, you're able to go out and find a wife and marry and have a family. Interestingly enough, women had to go through a similar process of the Agogi as well. Really? Yes, because Spartans believed that only Spartan women could give birth to Spartans.
1: Another line from the movie.
0: Yes. And one of the big challenges for these Spartan girls, this is the competition, was they would leap naked into the air, drumming their heels against their butts as many times as they could, to exhibit their athletic nature. Um, that sounds hilarious. Yes, but they are also recorded being able to leap, like, you know, four or five feet into the air and do this seven or eight times. Wow. And instantly enough, the Spartans did a lot of training naked because they, again, believed that modesty was a weakness. Well,.
1: Greece in general was into nudity and the human form. and
0: Yes. The Spartans <clears> took it <throat> to a whole nother level. So, you know, age 30, you're able to marry, you find the most athletic wife you can, you marry, you have children, you start the whole process over. All right.
1: So let's get to the actual soldiers then.
0: So, again, what makes the Spartans so good and what got them this level of godliness, I guess we'll call it, because that's kind of how we're painting the narrative of Thermopylae. He's seen as living gods. Well, by it's the...
1: very legendary or um, – I think legendary is a good thing because it's like the legend of the Spartans and how much of it is you know, true or exaggerated or stuff like that. But you know, it's, it's pretty much a given that the Spartans were very good at what they did when it came to war. And I mean I could point to just like – I've said before that um, in my – you know, limited studies of history. Most ancient war is won by a combination of uh, of armor, spears, and archery, essentially. Like yeah. everything else aside, uh, the, the, the side that has better ranged attacks, and I actually include spears in that because, yeah, pole arms in general tend to win ground combats. So, and uh, Spartans, I mean, the most famous depiction of Spartans is one with a long-ass spear and a shield, <laughs> so.
0: Yeah, so instantly you bring up the shield, because this is, again, another great Spartan quote. A visitor, when visiting Sparta, once asked why Sparta had no walls. A Spartan soldier turned to him, drummed his shield, and said, these are Sparta's walls. <laughs> Shield's important. I, I remember hearing once, um, I don't know who
1: said it, but if you can only take one weapon into battle, you take a shield.
0: Yeah. Uh, another great line from 300 that was a thing was, come home with this shield or upon it.
1: Yeah, the idea that don't run away, don't don't be a coward, right?
0: Yes, that was ingrained in the Spartans because the shield was this big, important thing. And ironically, it is where we get the name Hoplite from. Weren't the shields like 35 pounds of near-solid bronze they were at about 25 pounds and it was a combination of wood bronze and leather layered over the top of each other i remember the uh, deadliest warrior
1: said that getting hit with like hit with it by a you know a trained military guy was equivalent to getting hit by a car going at like 40 miles an hour or something like that
0: yeah they were solid and due to a mistranslation for the longest time, it was assumed that they were called, that the shield was called a hoplon, which is where we get the term hoplite. Wow! Oh. But recent evidence has actually found hoplon meant the overall equipment, and the shield was referred to the was referred to as an aspis. Aspis.
1: Mm-hmm. I feel like I gotta gotta wrap my mouth around a lot of these words. What was the middle class
0: called again? Perioikoi. Perioikoi. That's just as fun to say. <laughs> but the reason the shield was so important was because it not only protected you, but it covered the person to your left as well. Yeah, and the, the way formation. the Spartans fought in that phalanx of that locked wall, shield to shield was essentially with the shield, the helmet, the armor, everything you were covered head to toe in bronze armor.
1: I know that um, the, the phalanx was Rome's primary like go-to basically until Hannibal destroyed it with a crescent formation. But yeah, I mean, it's for a long time. Like that was the, default uh, battle formation
0: well it's a very effective one because essentially it's 12 man wide and 12 man deep and it forms a solid wall and all the guys at the back are pushing against the guys in front of them and it's creating a solid wall of just a mass and how war was waged at the time is these two lumbering masses would come smashing into each other and begin a brutal shoving match and again where the Spartans were able to excel or you know uh, improve the overall design was one of the problems you had with the phalanx was it would tend to drift to one side as you know men got nervous and they would try and you know uh draw closer to defend themselves or you wouldn't be able to communicate very well the spartans had battle songs they would sing going in to battle not only to intimidate their enemies and keep themselves calm but to organize the movement of troops
1: So the songs were like a a hidden command language.
0: Yes. Neat. And at first when people saw us, they thought this was just weird. Why are these men marching into war singing and so jovial? But when they saw how effective the Spartans were, it became kind of this whole psychological thing. These guys are excited about killing us. They're not afraid. They're maintaining formation. It added to the whole Spartan fear.
1: So do you know any such songs?
0: Unfortunately, I haven't been able to find any, but I imagine if they're anything like... Their poetry and some of their words, they are incredibly quippy and brutal.
1: So that laconic wit again.
0: Yes. And then you also (laughs) uh, talked about their spear, which actually was the biggest part of uh, their armament was this spear. And it was about eight feet long with a bronze tip and then a bronze spike at the back used to put down (laughs) anyone who fell.
1: You mean by by felled? You mean like the actual Spartans themselves, like some behind them fell down. Yes. Huh. That seems pretty brutal.
0: <laughs> it was considered a sign of weakness and they didn't want weakness breeding into the population. Hmm. And, uh, they uh, they actually called this, it was called a sourtor or a lizard sticker. <laughs> a lizard sticker? Yes. That's
1: an interesting name. I yeah. Mean, I mean, as a, as a, as a worshiper of Odin, I have great reverence for the spear as a, a weapon in general. And I like, most versions of it, but calling it a lizard sticker seems to take away some of that um grandeur I associate with the weapon. That's why it's better in Greek. <laughs> Do you know where but it is? the
0: call it a spear? It's nine feet long. It's more of a pike, but still. True. So you got these big, long nine feet spears you would jab at each other and try and get over the shield wall and try and force a retreat. Now, eventually they break. And then you get into the nitty gritty, which is where the Spartans get to break out their special toy called uh, the Laconia. Laconia. It mm-hmm. It is a short iron sword that was modeled after the standard hoplite sword called the Xiphos, but it's about three inches shorter I do know that
1: I haven't watched the video yet but uh, I've I've several times I've seen in my YouTube recommended videos um, Scala Gladiatoria who's one of the most uh, I don't know what the best word for this is but certainly one of the best HEMA guys on YouTube has a video titled like top five worst fictional swords. I haven't watched it, but the thumbnail is a picture of from 300 of Leonidas holding that weird-shaped sword they use in the
0: movie. So. Yeah, that one, 100% inaccurate in design and everything. Laconia, it's again, it's your standard short sword. There's not really a hilt on it. It was mainly used for stabbing and getting close. And the reason it was so effective was because when you were in that tight press of, you know, shield on shield and you only have a little room to maneuver, the shorter, the better. And it really was good for getting in there and stabbing and working in. And ironically, uh, there's a, a Greek soldier once remarked that they were so short that a juggler could swallow them to which the Spartan remarked, a Spartan warrior has no fear of closing with his enemy.
1: So, is this uh, Laconia like a, um, a predecessor to the spatha?
0: Ah, uh, it could be. I, I
1: just know the spatha was the general, like the. I mean, everyone says the the gladius, but um, like the spatha is a more uh more widespread and more like base. Name for the, that kind of sword, so yeah.
0: In terms of the gladius, it is most likely devised from the xiphos or you know the standard hoplite sword because the gladius came from the Etruscans who were a Greek colony in Rome. Okay, so that's most likely where it came from. I like that that's further your, your description. And this is something that
1: you learn when you um, when you get into HEMA or just studying history in general. But swords, which I would argue are the most like um, iconic historical weapon in general, like through any almost any place in the world. And you think of you know ancient warriors, you think of a sword of some kind, whether you know it's a katana or, or a claymore or a rapier. It's, it's usually a, a sword, but. If you actually study, like, war, and that's, I think, the case because a lot of civilians carry swords in general, like, in ancient times, but actual, like, soldiers in war, a sword was a backup weapon. Your primary weapon was almost certainly a polearm of some kind, and a sword was a backup weapon.
0: Yeah, and that kind of starts, you can see it here, with the Greeks being the first real organized military. I mean, you got the Babylonians, but much earlier... The Greeks and kind of the whole basis of Western uh, culture used spear as as their primary weapon, but they had the sword as the backup.
1: They have any, uh, I mean, they're wearing (laughs) largely like, you know, uh, pretty heavy armor. Like I know most depictions I've seen in, you know, image, they tend to have like their arms bare and stuff, but their chest is usually fully covered and, uh, you know, piercing weapons. You know, don't do too well against things like that. So it's usually a lot of uh, you know, like accurate or not accurate, but you're trying to get into like joints of, of armor. So they have any like, you know, a lot of ways later. I know in um later centuries, that's why things like flanged maces became popular because they were much better at dealing with uh with plate armor. So did Spartans have anything more like that, like a blunt kind of anti armor weapon?
0: Not particularly largely because of the way they fought combat you didn't have room to swing or get momentum
1: that makes sense because they're fighting real close together that's why you want the the short sword essentially
0: yeah alexander kind of changed that up when he brought about he began to integrate uh calvary with the phalanx and the use of the Xiphos uh sword or spear
1: so so then we could say that generally speaking your average spartan probably did come equipped with what is the uh the 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 popular image of essentially bronze armor a a big shield a polearm and a backup sword and that is and a helmet obviously because helmets super important and that's their complement generally
0: yes and again that was kind of where sparta was able to beat their enemies was another greek states you could only you came into battle with what you could afford which was typically a sword a spear and a shield i would These say Spartans,
1: is probably right because most civilians have an axe
0: yes and no because again you could bring an axe but you're probably not going to get a chance to use it in the combat if what happened was in the other sense if you didn't have the money to afford a sword or shield. You were put in the skirmisher, and you were given a handful of javelins and told to run out in front. Okay. So, but with the Spartans being a state-run military, every soldier went to war fully equipped and fully trained. Makes sense. And whereas, you know, the potter, he can only train to use his spear on his weekends. The Spartan knows how to use his uses his spear every day in practice because he wants to be that perfect warrior. All right. Um, What about, like, it seems in most depictions they don't
1: have leg armor is that like a an accurate thing
0: yes because actually the spartans had uh bronze greaves typically shaped to the form of their calf muscles and that would go from the top of your knee almost to your foot
1: okay so so we've got a good image now of of the spartan warrior and it seems like from what you're telling me that the general like (laughs) popular image of the spartan is pretty accurate which is nice to hear because a lot of you know, popular images of warriors really aren't accurate. Again, the ninja being probably the best example of that, as anyone who's seen pictures of real ninjas can attest to. Uh, so, so we've got the Spartan uh, common. So let's let's circle back to what we were talking about with uh, Thermopylae. So we've got um, King Leonidas and his three hundred, and this is actually they, there's some historical. Evidence for this: taking his soldier uh, soldiers to fight the Persians, probably in a hundred thousand, uh, more accurate than the you know millions, and them using Iron Age technology, arrows are uh, bouncing off of their their bronze armor. Their their phalanx is probably proving, especially with their armor and their long pole arms against. You said reed and like reed shields. Yeah, it's not going to hold up to bronze tip spears. Okay, so uh, so continue.
0: So. You know, the first day's (laughs) battle failed. They didn't break through, and the Persians are kind of disheartened. They went up against these guys who they've heard are the ultimate warriors, and they got slaughtered. So now Xerxes is like, okay, this is looking bad. I need to break them here and now. I'm going to send out my immortals. I didn't you know, think
1: those were real things at all.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, the name is kind of misleading because they were always said to have numbered at least a thousand strong. And the way they maintained this number was anytime someone died, they were immediate, someone else was immediately raised to the rank of immortal. And then it gave the illusion that they never died.
1: And fear is actually one of the strongest weapons that a
0: dictator or tyrant can have. Exactly, and these were the personal guard, the elite guard, what have you, of the Persian dynasty. And what made them unique for this time is they were trained in the use of all sorts of different weapons. They knew how to use swords, spears, bows, and clubs. So this is the closest thing the Persians had in terms of the Spartan warrior, this elite warrior class.
1: Well, what's funny is that when you say you know swords, spears, clubs, like it's you would think as an av- as a layman that. You know, a club would be the least useful of that. But if you're going up against heavily armored people, a club is actually going to be better than a bladed weapon. So-
0: exactly. So, you know, the second day of battle rolls around, and the Immortals come out. Now the Spartans get me excited, like, all right, we're going to get an actual challenge. And they go, big fight ensues. But the problem is, even though the Immortals are these, you know, The best trained soldiers the Persians have, they're still fighting in cloth armor with reed shields.
1: Yeah, and as I said, well, I mean, I I said armor, pole arms, and archery, and really, you can even shrink that to generally speaking like tech and I, I'm, I'm biased as an engineer but technology is you know so important so generally speaking the side that has the better technology in which case better armor <laughs> tends to come out i know that um one of the best examples of that is uh queen patema i think the the celtic uh queen who basically fought a roman regiment outnumbering them or like the the Potemas forces outnumbered the Roman regiment by a factor of like a hundred, but they were civilians with like no armor and this small Roman regiment with armor and weapons like one. Because yeah, like tech uh training equal, the side with better technology will most often come out on top.
0: Yeah, armor makes a big difference. And the best way I can put this is imagine you had imagine a wicker basket versus a knife. Yeah. That's essentially what was happening here. These guys are charging full tilt towards an armored wall of sharp and pointy that's not going to move and all they have for protection was wicker baskets. I feel like and I'm not I feel like you might be okay,
1: you study this more than I have, so I'm really taking your word for it. But can you are you not exaggerating a little bit cuz I can it's hard to imagine the Persian like such a difference in in uh, technology between the two saying wicker. Like I would believe um they might have like brigandine kind of armor like like leather with like some metal plating
0: into it there was a bit of that they did have some bronze plating underneath but the shields were made of wicker and the reason they were so much more lightly armored was they're fighting over in what is today modern day turkey in the middle east
1: yeah that are from a hot
0: hot you cannot have all that heavy metal and leather and material and be able to fight in that climate.
1: Okay. All right. I'll accept that.
0: And there are two big factors that kind of go into being able <laughs> to hold out this. First factor is that the Spartans were able to make the Persians fight them on equal footing. They had to fight man to man because of the way they uh, were in this narrow path. There was no way to get around. Other part, and a lot of people don't talk about this was the Persian admiral, uh, the Mysticles, was holding off Persian reinforcements from getting around behind their line. Okay. So if it had been an open field, this, will, this battle would have been over in one day, just because of my sheer number. But when it was man-to-man, the Spartans, and they were fighting defensive, which really favors the hoplite. Well, so, you know, generally
1: speaking, fighting defensive, right. it tends to give the advantage to the defender because <laughs> you don't have to worry about like gaining ground and, and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, and the smaller numbers. So, you know, end of the second day... The Persian Immortals have been beaten back, and the Persian army is really getting worried. Because twice now, this little army that barely anybody, there hardly any of them, there's maybe 1,300, 2,000 of them hanging out there. They have been able to beat back their best. Xerxes is getting mad. Xerxes is getting worried. And then he gets told that there is an envoy waiting for him back at camp that says he knows how to defeat the Spartans.
1: And this is the, uh, essentially the way around so they can flank them and get, get on both sides, right?
0: Yes. Someone went to the Persians and said there was a narrow goat path that would allow them to get in behind the Spartan line. Now, in the movie 300, it's shown to be the hunchback, but no one's really sure who this was, whether it was a Persian spy that got behind the lines or... Or a defector from Greece, no one really knows. But anyways, the Spartans get word this attack is coming. So they say, you know what, we're going to stand here, everybody else, go back. Now, what part gets left out is there there is a roughly a thousand other Greeks that said, no, we're going to stand here and die with you. Certainly good for morale. <laughs> yeah, and the Spartans said, okay, cool. Now, this is the really fun part. So the Persian spies go and they report back to Xerxes that most of the Greek army has fled. There's a handful of these Spartans and a few other Greeks left. But what was really weird is the Spartans were there combing their hair, washing out their beards, and getting, you know, made up. And Xerxes just thought that this was hilarious. They were just so vain and so, you know, just these were women, essentially, in his mind. What he didn't realize was the Spartans were preparing for death. You know, I like hearing
1: that because one of the criticisms that's been levied at 300 and generally depictions of, of Spartans, but specifically 300, is that in a lot of ways it um, it codes the the Persians and Xerxes as being uh, very effeminate, with the um, the Spartans being coded very like masculine. So it creates this dichotomy where the the villains are you see this in a lot of blockbusters actually but uh where the, the villains are very feminine the the heroes are very masculine but it's, i just think it's funny then to hear that like xerxes is like oh the the spartans are uh making themselves look all pretty what women <laughs> so
0: yeah no they this was a death ritual they were you know they knew they were going to die and they wanted to go out looking as good as possible to show off we are the we are the best that humanity has to offer. And there was no way they were going out looking like slaughter.
1: Well, <coughs> at, least, uh, at least they have that. Yep.
0: So, you know, third day comes. It's essentially a huge slaughter. They're killed to the last. It goes on to become this huge moral victory and goes down in history. As you know, even though it's a defeat, it's this beautiful last stand. And uh, the interesting thing that people don't realize about 300 when they criticize it is they forget that the movie has an unreliable narrator. True, it's being told by a guy who idolized uh, Leonidas. And I think that you got to remember the fact they weren't wearing armor, the fact that the Persians were monsters. This is all storytelling elements to make the battle seem that much better. Well, I, here, here's a. So we've talked about Thermopylae. We talked about it a lot more than I
1: think we intended to. So this is like supposed to be the. They're not supposed to be. This is one of the like high points, I guess. Of of Spartan history, if anything, it's yeah, the one that sticks in people's mind the most, right? So we could, you could ar- arguably say it is the greatest win with quotation marks for Sparta. So how about we talk about the exact opposite of that? What eventually made Sparta fall?
0: Well, yeah, so this was the high watermark. This was the benchmark that you know, wow, the Spartans are great, and you know, after that, they win the war against you know Persia sparta becomes known as the big triumphant heroes Athens gets a Athen gets a bit put off by this and they go into a long lasting war that goes on forever and eventually sees sparta victorious how long would you say can you give us a bit more? i think the war went on for i think oh i gotta hear my notes
1: we're we talking like 10
0: years 20 years it was like 100
1: years 100 years
0: It went on for a while. I know it went on for quite a while. I don't have the exact number. But it was a long, grinding war that saw both sides really get ground down, but Sparta ultimately won out. And right around the end of the and this is around the end of the war in four hundred four BCE is when this war is declared over, Sparta has won. Then they become becoming more materialistic. They start becoming more obsessed with wealth and having it. It's funny. And they,
1: realistic is an antonym for Spartan in its usage uh-huh.
0: today. And they began to slacken the laws regarding terms for military service and the culling of the wheat. And so you, it sounds like
1: you're saying that the
0: the fall was
1: not precipitated by any like one event, just a uh, essentially a lethargy or an apathy for what made the culture what it was up to that point
0: Uh uh-huh and the population continues to decline and at the height of this big you know kind of decline it's kind of marked the last spartan king or the last two was lepidus who was born with a club foot Ooh. (laughs) now in in the ancient times that wouldn't have been allowed but he was the last real king of sparta and there's a lot of political infighting and a lot of you know and it just kind of brought them down as a civilization until ultimately they weren't really big players anymore. Ironically, though, even in this big decline, they're not going to be around much longer. They're barely a power. When you've got Philip II, Alexander the Great's father, going and conquering all of Greece, he sends a message to Sparta saying, if I win this war, you will be slaves forever. To which the Spartan king responds, if. I think I've heard that
1: phrase. I've heard that story before, yeah.
0: And ultimately, even though they are... A shadow of their former power. When Philip goes there, he annexes them into his empire. He doesn't fight them; he annexes based I mean, on their that, reputation. Yeah, and ironically, that goes on to inspire the Romans. A lot of the Romans took a lot of their stuff from Sparta: the wearing of the red, the worship of Ares. A lot of stuff they took over from the Spartans because the Spartans were these big, iconic badasses. I
1: mean, I mean there's a reason why we're talking about them today. I mean, there are plenty of uh, of warriors in history who are deserving certainly of conversation. Like I particularly like uh the Maori warriors I find super fascinating. But Spartans Yeah they
0: are, are. They're really cool. Yeah.
1: But Spartans are kind of like the symbol of ancient warfare, of like how war and a warring society was done before the invention of gunpowder, essentially.
0: Yeah, and for despite what you think about their practices, they stuck to them. They said, This is what we're going to do, and they did it. There was no real tiptoeing around. It was like we we're going to be brutal and we are going to be successful. And do you think- I think that has really led to a lasting, you know, impression. It's like you know, a lot of people say, "Oh, we're going to do this," but then they don't do it. Well, do you think the fact? Okay, first, first of all, the most obvious reason why Spartans,
1: I think, are such a big part of um, our collective consciousness is. Uh, because Rome itself is the basis of basically like European civilization, which America is in a lot of ways descended from. Uh, I shouldn't say it, which basically it is. Like, you want to argue that? That's a whole other thing. But the point is that in any culture whose language derives from Latin, uh, you know, it's because of Rome, and Rome, as you just said, was heavily influenced by Sparta. So on on one hand, we've got there's such a have such a lasting legacy because they had such an impact on the civilization that had like the largest impact on Western civilization. Um, But would you not say that probably another reason why their legacy is so lasting was because they didn't actually have a fall. Not really. They had a, a decline as you described it, but nothing that really ever destroyed them.
0: Yeah, that is fair to say. They never really disappeared. People still, I mean, were caught in the Spartan, I guess we lack a word, propaganda machine. These were the badass warriors on the block. And they also kind of get credit, maybe unduly so, because a lot of people credit the Battle of Thermopylae for saving Western civilization.
1: There's a lot because of problems that statement, but go ahead.
0: If the Persian army had not been stopped at Thermopylae, they would have been able to go on to conquer Greece faster and that could, and you know, had they been able to conquer Greece, that would have been uh, a whole nother, would have been modeled after that eastern influence rather than the western.
1: Well, you know, when we're talking about uh, legacy, right? Uh, Okay, so the statement of of saving Western civilization, I, I think uh, I, I get where you're coming from. I, I think it's kind of problematic. Cause I think Western civilization would have existed, but it's you're, it's basically essentially saying Western civilization as we know it. So I yes, understand-
0: that's probably the best way to put it
1: yeah so so we're talking about a lasting legacy and we're talking about how sparta was never really destroyed it was just kind of uh, uh declined and absorbed into rome and then rome you know was like the civilization that shaped basically at, you know all of the west of the you know planet for so long and so and then we know basically what happened to Rome. There's a whole other story about Rome split into, you know, uh, Constantinople and you know the, the various Roman empires. Uh, but then when we started having reformation of like countries, right? Because Greece is. Um, <coughs> it's, near italy right because that's that was like the seat of rome that's where the roman coliseum is in italy so and sparta was a city state so is it still a city like no okay What
0: <laughs> what is there now i haven't studied the modern day geography i'm not 100 percent sure on the modern day geography there's still it's still around but a large part of the city of sparta was lost to earthquakes in i think the medieval ages oh and they never really rebuilt upon it.
1: Sometimes Mother Nature is just, the city doesn't exist anymore. Boom.
0: Yeah pretty much. And I mean, Greece for, you know, in the late middle ages was the invasion path for armies going both ways, be it the Ottomans or the Crusaders. So Greece, Greece was never pretty really pretty- able to rise as a military power again until the Byzantines. Hmm, I thought Greece was kind of out of the way, but again, my geography isn't great. So. so that pretty much more or less concludes our discussion on ancient Sparta. But before we go, I want to recite a famous uh, Spartan poem, from Tyraeus that I think summarizes the Spartans perfectly. Go ahead. goes, go near, strike with a long spear or a sword at close range, and kill a man. That foot against foot, press shield against shield, then crest against crest, helmet against helmet, and chest against chest. That was their idea of poetry.
1: Uh, hey, it rhymes in English, so... <laughs> <laughs> raises some questions <laughs> but so yeah this is so warrior corner is what we're calling this segment and uh we ended up talking more about a very specific battle than we intended to but this is generally what you can expect when we do things like this We'll you know just pick a a warrior from history that we like and and just chat about it essentially <laughs>
0: so yeah and uh, let's real quickly go through our suggestions for the week. Um, Mine is, if you want a history podcast from someone who's not a historian, but, again, does this much better than we can, uh, Dan Carlin. He has a great series on, uh, actually, the other side of this story, the Persians and Xerxes. Um, he's got another great one, Caesar's Invasion of Gaul, and a fantastic series on the Punic Wars, which... I highly recommend.
1: Uh, I'll stick to suggesting just one thing for now, even though I've got a a few things that could fit in this category. But one of my personal favorite history shows, and it's not actually by historians, so everything is with a grain of salt, but it's entertaining at the least, is a a series on YouTube called Extra History. The people behind it, Extra Credits, they normally do videos about uh, video game behind the scene video game stuff because it's done by like a game designer and he talks about like the nature of game type but they have a, they originally got hired by um some company to talk about uh, essentially to talk about rome because uh, some rome game was coming out i don't remember but they've got in reference to what we're talking about now they've got a great like five or six video series on the punic wars that is probably not as uh, expansive as the one that you've just mentioned, Ulrich, but is at least really entertaining and probably a good place to dip your toe into this kind of information.
0: Yeah, I would definitely suggest starting with that one. and If you want more, go with Dan Carlin. Um, it's a, His is a six-part series. It's like, I think, 12 to 13 hours long. The extra credit series, I think, is an hour long. <laughs>
1: Yeah, something like that. So no, just depends of on what degree you want. So,
0: Yeah, I've listened to both. I suggest I highly endorse both. So be sure to like, share, and subscribe this video. And also feel free to leave a comment down below if you'd like to hear talk about in a future podcast. As always, this has been Lord Commander Ulrich.
1: And his S.H.I.E.L.D. brother, Axel Wright.
0: Be sure to tune in next time and stay honorable.